I inherited um, what were five communities that had grown very small after the COVID pandemic. And uh, there was a lot of worry and angst in those communities. And so my hope is to be able to um, provide them hope to open up uh, their vision of what Jesus is doing in their lives now and to be able to help them um, be energetic disciples for Christ in the midst of all of the challenges that we all face every day. Welcome to the Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst in the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Hello and welcome back to the Huntley Leadership Podcast. My name is Ron Huntley and I will be your host today. I'm really excited to have with me Father Ted Mock. Father Ted is a pastor of multiple churches. Do you know anybody like that? Is that perhaps your story? I know as a coach, I find myself coaching into that situation more and more now around the world than ever before. I think part of the issue is pastors aren't trained to pastor multiple parishes. In fact, it's really hard to successfully pastor one parish. This is a difficult issue. It's an important conversation. And Father Ted, thank you for joining me on the show today to have this conversation. You're welcome. It's great to be here. As we think about, and I really want to pack, unpack your story because this, your story isn't everybody's story, but it's a story and it's worth talking about. But, but maybe before we even have that conversation, I want to know, what's your hope in light of the fact that you're the pastor of multiple churches? What's your hope? My hope is that we're able to draw others towards Christ in a deep and abiding way that brings them peace. Mm -hmm. I inherited um, what were five communities that had grown very small after the COVID pandemic. And uh, there was a lot of worry and angst in those communities. And so my hope is to be able to um, provide them hope to open up uh, their vision of what Jesus is doing in their lives now and to be able to help them um, be energetic disciples for Christ in the midst of all of the challenges that we all face every day. Beautiful. Thank you. And so important because, you know, when things are growing and going well, it feels like we can't do anything wrong. It feels like we could probably walk on water. It's like we get those we get in those zones sometimes where things are, are going so well. It's great. But boy, when things are on the decline, it's it's a painful reality, and and hope would probably be in in scarce supply. And so I love that that's part of your vision for your hope for what you can bring to people. That's so cool. So how long have you been a pastor? Tell me a little bit about your story, and then we'll put it into context of where you're at. Well, I've been a priest for about 13 years. Uh, the first. Uh, of six years, I was the associate pastor at two different large uh, mm-hmm. uh, suburban parishes and then was a pastor of a very old, small um, country parish that became a suburban parish uh, yeah. in its history for about five years. Um, very exciting. It was in a very dynamic area. There's a lot of growth. And so mm-hmm. we um, we doubled the size of the congregation there. Other great, exciting things. And then uh, I was invited in September of 2021 to uh, mm-hmm. to come to to Merrillville and to uh, start working with the community here, 
mm-hmm. five parishes as they uh, journey together towards being one parish with two worship sites and the mm-hmm. parish school over the next uh, several years. Okay, so let's break that down because I know it must be hard for bishops too, and I I want to acknowledge that up front and people that do priest placements and stuff. That is hard and often misunderstood, and it's tricky. And so I'm sure your bishop was probably, uh, that would have been a hard decision to make because it's a tough assignment. Um, and yet he did. And so I just want to acknowledge that that's hard. <laughs> if you're a personnel or a bishop, it's like, ah, we're going to ask to do this, uh, cause it's tricky. And so, but, but it sounds like you were given a mandate. Like there was like, no, here's the expectation. So tell me a little bit about how that came into life. Absolutely. So, um, I'm very thankful for the, um, ministry of our bishop, uh, and the wisdom uh, about, a year before I arrived in Maryville, or was asked mm-hmm. to come to Maryville, my predecessor at three of the parishes sadly suddenly passed away of a heart attack. Um, very unexpected. Um, he was actually grocery shopping at a grocery store and uh, just didn't come home that afternoon. Um, and so uh, he was pastoring uh, three of our Maryville communities at the time, as well mm-hmm. as other DAS and responsibilities. He was a, a good and holy priest who was really devoting himself to the people of God and his work in right. many ways. Um, but sadly, he suddenly died. And so um, the bishop um, assigned a temporary deacon administrator to the three communities mm-hmm. and began a process of conversation with all five of the Maryville parishes um, under leadership of Father Kevin Huber, our chancellor, and oh, yeah. Deacon Dad Lowry, our... Um, he was in the Dawson offices, uh, assisting the bishop's office in... Um, strategic planning and other types of areas of uh, planning. Mm-hmm. And so the, they started meeting uh, about a year and a half before anything to do with me uh, was even thought about or discussed. Uh, and their meetings were broad consultations with um, the parishioners of the pews of all five of the communities, uh, as well as all of the clergy, all of those lay ministers involved in the um, five communities. <laughs> and it really was, it was a broad conversation with small groups, large groups, um, um, uh, and that um, process or consultation ended with a proposal by the group to the bishop um, that they um, take on a new structure, that they become one parish uh, with two sites and a school. And the bishop accepted that um, request of theirs from their prayerful consultation with one another mm. and and then sought out the leader to take on that um, that role of helping the five parishes come together. And uh, I was not the first uh, to be asked. Uh, there was a, a broad consultation after that regarding the priest leadership. But mm-hmm. um, in the end, and I won't go through all, all of that, but in the end, I was asked and um, uh, happily agreed to take on the role as um, pastor of uh, one of those original three parishes, uh, administrator of the other two. Uh, there were still other priests at the other two, making five total, and um, began walking with the people through um, looking at how we could uh, make what they had envisioned a reality in their request to the bishop. Okay. And we've been that's doing neat. that. Yeah. So, Father Ted, that's, um, that's really neat because I've seen – 
I've seen the need for um, consolidating resources and assets. I've seen that tackled lots of different ways. And um, it sounds like it was done really well. Like sometimes I've seen people say, well, you guys have to figure it out. And so just tell us what you're going to do. And they walk away and nobody knows how to talk. It sounds like they facilitated these conversations and met with the key stakeholders in such a way that they could identify reality, uh, maybe begin to explore some ideas or models, and then they came back with some recommendations. That's beautiful, because I think, again, that puts bishops in a really hard spot to come in and say, these aren't working, we're going to close these. Like If they tell people what to do, people rebel. But also, if they don't get involved enough, things stagnate and decisions aren't made. It sounds like a... It sounds like this was kind of the sweet spot. No, I would agree. It it was a, I think a, a very unique approach given some of the things we at least I read um, in the newspapers and hear about seemingly going on around the country and other places, sure. uh, where there was a process to invite the people into the very beginning of the conversation to lay out the plan, but then even after the plan was announced and laid out. It was not, um, you know, in the document that was read to all the parishioners in July of 2021, when the bishop accepted this proposal, um, it did not give an immediate timeline. This is going to happen now. or You know, it, instead it said, this is the process that you all used. These are the requests that you've made. I've consulted other bodies, uh, the priest council and others that are, have input, and then I'm giving you the green light to move forward and how you're going to unwrap that, which gave the new pastor as well as the um, pastoral council and other um, lay groups within the communities, the voice to be able to decide the timeline and, and what was um, when it was right to move forward with certain, certain steps. And so it really was yeah. a, a beautiful collaboration with everyone. And it's, and so far uh, I think it's helped to bring people together. That's really cool because oftentimes the opposite is the case. We fill all kinds of evangelical Protestant churches with irritated Catholics sometimes yeah. through these things. So that's so fun that you're able to bring people together. It sounds like, again, there was consultation. There was summary and follow-up, which I think is cool because sometimes, you know, what's said or what's agreed upon gets lost when it's not clearly summarized and then recommunicated. But through that, people, you guys were empowered and entrusted, right? There's just a lot of important, sensible, logical steps that it sounds like. And so, so what, what's the experience been like for you? How long have you been at it? Maybe what are, yeah, so what's that experience been like for you? So I received a phone call in July of 2021 after the initial announcement had been made that they would um, call their destination, if you will, yeah, from Bishop McClory. And um, we began the conversation. I accepted uh, his invitation to the assignment, which began in September of 2021, um, and really uh, met with the people immediately and started working with the groups that had gathered as part of that process, Amen. as well as the uh, pastoral councils of, uh, the, at the time, three parishes that I was working directly with. Yeah. Um, uh, and just began talking with them. And there was a lot of um, desire on their part to not prolong this. You know, They had lost their pastor to sudden death and um, and then been immediately part of a 
consultation process. And so they really felt they had already talked Man. about it, consulted about it. They wanted to do something. And so uh, we worked together to um, figure out the right next steps. Um, and so in January of 2022, um, we uh, became Holy Martyrs. Those three parishes became Holy Martyrs Parish, um, a name chosen by the community to reflect the fact that um, four of the five Maribel communities were named after martyrs of the church. So um, um, it was St. Andrew the Apostle, St. Stephen the Martyr, St. Joan of Arc, and St. Peter and Paul um, were four right. of the communities. And so uh, that name was chosen. And so the three on January 1st, 2021 became Holy Martyrs Parish. They consolidated their worship schedule to one weekend for weekends to one building. Um, they continued to use one of the other facilities for offices and um, daily mass on a temporary basis. And then mm -hmm. the other facility was left open for funerals and special occasions. Mm -hmm. um, quickly after that, it was decided to begin the process of eliminating that that building that was rarely being used. Okay. And so it was um, uh, eventually eliminated as a worship site and then sold. Then... We, um, the following uh, March, I became pastor of another Maryville parish called Our Lady of Consolation. Uh -huh. And so with that, um, about uh, six months after I became pastor, uh, after communicating with, uh, elaborating with both um, pastoral councils of Holy Martyrs and Our Lady of Consolation, we um, decided to join the mass, the weekend mass schedule okay. uh, between the two places so that I would be able to cover um, all four of the weekend masses uh, myself, uh, rather than having to have an additional, um, we meant eliminating two mass times and the additional uh, priest support that we were mm. getting from um, senior priests and retired priests, which was becoming more and more difficult. Sure. And so uh, at that point, we uh, merged those mass schedules and then um, the former St. Joan of Arc site, uh, we no longer needed it for office space or for daily mass. And so it too went to just being funerals and special occasions um, until it was decided by the community a few months after that, that it was no longer needed. And so it is currently under contract, uh, hopefully sale soon. Um, and all of these assets uh, uh, from the sale of these buildings mm -hmm. um, come to Holy Martyrs Parish. So right. it, it's, it's all everything um, spiritually, physically um, that are part of the parish's assets and liabilities, if you will, sure. uh, which are on both ends, uh, spiritual yeah. and uh, yep. and physical, right. uh, to, uh, <laughs> to all flow, all flow to the to the new parish. And so um, we've been excited to be able to uh, make some of our ministries robust in their application because we have assets, uh, um, um, monetary assets on hand to be able to help fund new attempts at ministry and bring right. people together. Yeah. And so it sounds like what you started with, you know, grew as well. Like, you know, you're, you thought you were getting into this and then you were given another church. Well, we knew it. We did. I, we did know that from the beginning. Oh, um, so okay. Fair enough. The, the process was, was phased. Uh, we knew that um, uh, over time we would go from, I was taking the three original churches and okay. then over time I would become leader of all five and, and all five would become one. And we sure. knew that that would be done in, in stages over, over the process here. Now, you you were saying, and, and this is uh, 
this is this can't get lost because it's a heck of a statement that to... this has been bringing people together. And so yeah. tell me a little bit about that in terms of the size of the communities. And, and is it, you know, is it just like, hey, hey, you know, we were 400, now we're 200, but at least we're together. Like, what are we talking about here? So no, it's been a great joy. So when I arrived, um, these parishes, so my predecessor had died in the middle of COVID. Um, mm. And so these communities were already struggling with how to um, maintain worship and other things um, mm. coming out of the lockdown and other types of um, this COVID realities with masks and social distancing and sanitization of church buildings and, and all of that stuff. And so as they were coming out of that, their leader died um, and yep. then they entered into this process. And so these communities, uh, the three that I entered into in September of 2021, had at most 60 or 65 people at any one of their two or three Sunday masses okay. or weekend masses. Gotcha. And so we now have at um, Holy Martyrs, um, between Holy Martyrs and Our Lady of Consolation, because we have merged the mass schedule, we kind of have to talk about all of them, uh, yes. even though they're two separate parishes still. Yep. Um, we have an average of about 250 people at each of their Sunday masses. And so oh, it went wow. from barely 60 at like 14 masses spread out on a weekend over uh, five sites to an average of about 250 at four masses in two sites. And Beautiful. so when people get together now, uh, I point out the, the 8.30 a.m. mass at Holy Martyrs has a particular um, uh, joyous feel to its worship mm -hmm. uh, because they gather at Holy Martyrs Church, which is a smaller church building, uh, filled with almost 250 people every Sunday at that mass time. And many of them are coming from the smallest of the places, right. uh, the smallest attendance of, yes. of the places. And so they, it's like they're back home. It's like, it's like this is what our community felt like 15 years ago yeah. when there was that many people at our at the, the old worship site that's no longer yes. existing. And so they 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 have this joy, um, and you, they sing and they participate. And there's opportunities to, you know, sadly, you know, we've had parishioners who've um, been diagnosed with cancer the last two years mm. or have other difficulties in their lives. Sure. But to see them out in the gathering space after mass, hugging and supporting one another, building each other up with conversations, taking the time to go across the hall, the parking lot to the mm -hmm. hall for coffee and rolls to be able to be with one another, um, especially when some of these uh, former places, you didn't mm -hmm. have to go. You could you could get to the hall without going outside. Yes. And so, you know, they they make that extra step and and you see people coming together. It really is a beautiful mm -hmm. Beautiful expression. And the same is true at Our Lady of Consolation site as well, um, mm -hmm. only it's a bigger space. It seats nearly 800 people. So when you have 250, it's a lot better than 60, but it doesn't yeah. have that same, uh, the yes. same full feeling that we, that we do at Holy Martyrs. So both are very vibrant and, and, and filled with a sense of community that I think um, has sadly become more difficult because of the lower mm -hmm. numbers uh, before, before we came together. Gotcha. Yeah, that is a very different feel, isn't it? So I love that. I'm going to pray that that other church gets up to 700 by the by the end of 2024. That's my <laughs> I'm going to be interceding for you. I'm so excited. So it's going to happen. I, I believe that. Jesus, I believe that. <laughs> That's so fun. So let's talk a little bit about, I would love to talk about you. 
Like, what's that been like for you? Because you mentioned you were in two suburban churches and then a rural church that became suburban, probably just because of the growth of the demographics and stuff. Love it. Um, So what's it? What have you learned about yourself leading like this or leading this movement? Well, I would say the one thing I've learned since I've been in Maryville is that I have to, as a leader, uh, be willing to be more acceptive of God's will and providence in the immediate situation and mm-hmm. less dependent upon myself to be able to to plan my way out of something or to already have some solution to a problem uh, ready at hand because uh, it's just not possible. There's just too many things coming at me at one time to yeah. be able to um, lead in exactly the same way that I led in Dyer, the former community right. I was at. Um it was a, a small, a small old German parish, um, and, uh, from the 1800s. And, um, you know, so it, it had a longstanding community along with the suburban kind of influx into it. Um, where now, uh, you know, I'm helping what were five distinct communities, one of which was, uh, from the 1840s. So one of which was very, very old, um, some family members, uh, very few, but some family members still, going back to the beginning, you know, not themselves, but their families uh, going back to the beginning. And so their family since 1840 has never worshiped anywhere except that old place that is no longer there. And so, um, trying to help them to, to come along with this change. Uh, Mm. but, uh, so for me, it's, it's just keeping my eye on, you know, I have to be very much, and spiritually, it's always good advice, uh, but nonetheless, we don't always follow it. Um, <laughs> be very much present to the to the, what's going on in, the, in this moment, mm. inviting Christ into the moments that I'm with the preacher um, in the hospital or whatever, you know, wherever I'm at in that moment on that day, and then allowing a certain way God's providence to be able to provide for um, all the loose ends that might still be present at the end of the day. A practical example of it would be. Uh, my uh when i when i arrived in maryville my the tags the top of your phone email uh yeah mine always was blank at the end of the day it was there was never anything left undone in my email um i started having anxiety about six weeks into being in maryville because it became hundreds of emails on red on that tag and i eventually just had to let go of that Um, i I do answer my emails and i do um triage them but uh, but there's there's things I can just I can get to I have to say I can get to that later, right. and um and try to get to that and what I can and deal with what's in front of me right now in a kind of triage or priority that's based on prayer and the Lord and, and what's going on. Boy, that's not easy. Like that's uh, that's a big shift, eh? Like if part of your identity is hey I get stuff done and I get back to people and I'm on top of things and then to go from that to five churches, I can't imagine the loose ends that you have to all as of a you, sudden come to terms. As you with. say that, so our our bishop was relatively new. He had only been here two or three years when we began the Maribel process. Sure. And um, his secretary was also his executive assistant was also new, and. Uh, she had commented to me um, in the first days of my coming to Maryville that, oh, Father, thank you. You you always respond to my our emails within, you know, moments, you know, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I and I it actually is stuck in my brain that as soon as that compliment came through, within days, I was no longer able to respond to their emails as quickly. So um 
And it's just, it's something you just, you know, you have to let go of to be able to be with mm. people in their, in their immediate situations. Mm. And, and I wonder too, like, again, think about it through the lens of your leadership, right? Like you're the pastor and you have expectations of yourself and what a priest is and what a priest does. You have probably a, uh, you know, some form of a handle on the things you're good at or not so good at. And you're taking that to the tasks at hand. And, and I can't, I, I can only imagine like some of the things that you've had to deal with were taxing and, and, and probably had to evolve and grow. Like, what are your thoughts? No, absolutely. I mean, no priest that I know of expects to walk into a parish and be selling all of its buildings within mm-hmm. uh, six months. Um, right. Or, uh, or um, which comes with both the helping the people to yes. be able to let go and move forward to a different place and make new connections mm. with new people, as well mm. as all the legal realities of yeah. realtors and lawyers and selling property and, and uh, all that. So all of those things create um, new experiences uh, that just are um, sometimes just a need to be able to, to pray through it, you know, to uh, to get the best advice to to, mm. to be able to, you know, in your own prayer, my own prayer life, um, to be able to say, okay, this is a challenge that, that, that is in an area that is not part of your gifts. Mm-hmm. And so to take it to prayer as to who can I bring in mm-hmm. to be able to help either a volunteer or a staff member or, mm-hmm. or a new staff member or somewhere in the planning process to be able to, to kind of, um, fill in, uh, mm-hmm. where that, where that, weakness or or um, lack of gift is mm-hmm. in your own ministry and that's where it's important not to become detached from your own prayer life and your own uh, friends your own you know your own your own personal uh, health uh, just to be able to uh, have that good self-knowledge and realize this is something i need to be able to empower someone else to walk with me through Right. Yeah, I guess your own sustainability, your own mental health, spiritual health, physical health, like a God rest the soul of your predecessor, like who knows, maybe you had a pre existing heart condition, but it's stressful. Like, you know, it's stressful in, you know, being a priest these days. It's, it's hard. Like there's a lot of things to, to be good at and, and to figure out. And it's not, it's not always a clear path. And in today's culture, that's, that's so pervasive and, and our, our, our Christian identity is pretty much gone, you know, maybe a little bit less in the U S certainly than Canada, but I mean, still it's deteriorating like crazy. And, and it's hard to, you know, I heard somebody say that, you know, priests are, are trained to, 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 to do ministry in Jerusalem, but we find ourselves in Babylon. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like this whole, yeah. like, wow, how do we do this? It's like, we're figuring it out. And then put on top of that multiple churches and and all the complexities of that. Mm. Well, it's tempting. Uh, this it's tempting to think, uh, you know. And I find as you know, as as a leader and as a priest, it's important to kind of self monitor my own thoughts. You know where, and I don't mean yeah. that in a that sounds horrible as I said it out loud, but um, but <laughs> to prayerfully, so. <laughs> yeah. to prayerfully have a self examination of of you know how often are my thoughts going into Places like, um, uh, uh, this isn't the church that I grew up in. This isn't the church that I, that I, I, um, 
signed up uh, for or tied up for or wanted to serve or you know yeah. and um and when i say church i mean i mean as big as you can think not not necessarily gotcha. this parish or this no, you know no, this diet, I, you know, yeah but just the yeah. a general sense and um and so and that's a and that's to really take that to prayer and find out what kinds of encouragement the lord is giving you <laughs> to be able to fill those moments so that your thoughts you, you you have a certain ability to control your thoughts. Now, you know, mm-hmm. that could be taken in a very unhealthy way, but, um, no, God but asks if us you to find yourself, yeah, right. Exactly. If you find yourself, um, being pulled down by, um, by certain kinds of thoughts, then, mm-hmm. then do your best to try and put yourself in a place where, uh, the Lord is filling you with, mm-hmm. with gifts. And how are those, how can you think about those things? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that that's uh, that's been very helpful because and, I mean it's it's very different. I mean I grew up in a very uh, small rural community, uh, mm-hmm. and I had a very old pastor when I was growing up, so things were very traditional, um, more than I would have ever known. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah. just grew up within it. You know, I was taught by Habit and Sisters um, yep. that were very important in my own vocation call. I'm still very close to their community, um, and so. Uh, those are all blessings, um, yes. but they're not, I mean, they're not something I can then expect to just completely extrapolate into my current experience. Right. Um, uh, so, so what do we do with that? Uh, you know, and mm. I think the important part is to bring it to prayer and then to, to realize that there are gifts the Lord is giving in the immediate situation and how do we help to move our thoughts into support of those realities. Oh, Father Ted, that is rich. Like that is super, super, if people don't hear anything else, I hope they hear that because we do have to take control of our thing. Like God's given us control of our mind, like to be aware of where's my mind going and what does that do to me? Because how I think forms my beliefs. And boy, we can go down a rabbit hole of negativity that creates resentments towards the bishop, the diocese, the parishioners, my fellow priests. Like, well, there's there's no end to the darkness that resides in all of us if we feed that. No, it is a black hole. I mean, I'm, I mean, yeah. It, 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 yeah, no, there is no end. And and it's but it's a black hole that we can we can get ourselves. We can we can choose the other direction on. Amen. Um, you know, I, I, I say this carefully because I do have I know people who struggle with um OCD, obsessive compulsive disorders, yeah. different kinds. And certainly we're not trying to um, mm-hmm. encourage people to try and uh, take control of their of right. their thoughts in that kind of way. But but um, it is, it's a very empowering gift to realize that mm-hmm. the Lord is walking with us. And even if something is going in a direction we don't think is positive or that we uh-huh. want, that it's God that's in control, not us. Amen. And so we have to let go of that and then find the gifts and and move ourselves in thinking in, in that direction or else we end up at the bottom of that black hole. And it mm. is a dark place and it's not yeah. it's it's not good. Yeah, I don't even know if it has a bottom. It's that is like it's just but, death yeah. itself. Right. It's terrible. But is there any scriptures or any stories of scripture that you think about that kind of that's been an encouragement to you when you think about that reality or the possibility? Yep. Absolutely. I mean. I think, and this may be just because the last several weeks we're hearing a lot about the kingdom of God and these parables exactly. of the Lord and the Sunday liturgies. Yeah. Um, and uh, so much of my own prayer ends up being around because of 
the need mm-hmm. for preaching and the need for yeah. uh, all the different kinds of things drawing on me on on just where the lectionary takes us. Um, yes. But, um, you know, the Lord says the kingdom of God uh, is like a, um, a king who invites everyone to a wedding feast mm-hmm. and um, and no one comes yes. and no one wants to be there. And they even go so far as to kill his servants. Well, that's not a very positive response. I mean, the, the, you know, and so yeah. and so, what can we expect? You yeah. know, in our own in our own in the world, manifesting that kingdom, the world. Mm-hmm. But then he goes out to the highways and byways and and uh, and pulls people in. But then doesn't just expect them to just go along. They're not just along for this for this great banquet. Uh, he asks the one who's not wearing a wedding garment, "Why haven't you done the basic preparation? Why haven't yeah. you?" You know, uh, you know, it's not like yeah. um, not like you had to go to like, get a tuxedo five weeks ahead of time to have it delivered to show up to this thing. No, the wedding garment is just a, a basic yeah. preparation, you know, and the guy when he's when he's confronted about this has no answer. He's yeah. just stunned in silence, the scripture tells us. And so um, to me, it's it's trying to empower people to realize, look, God is calling you. You have gifts. Those gifts are rooted in your baptism in the Lord, which is a garment that you're called to wear, yeah. um, um, the, which is Christ himself to put on Christ, like St. Paul says. Yeah. And um, and so uh, how can we um, really invite others, but then when they don't, when they don't come, uh, let the Lord send his armies to do the dirty work of the people who don't show up. Because that's what the scripture says in the parable. You know, the father sends his armies to obliterate everyone. You know, yeah. the, the servants got obliterated. Right. Um, we have to expect no better. Um, and so uh, so we we have to be there to serve, to empower people to see their, um, mm. their dignity in that they've been baptized and taken on Christ and as their identity. And then to, to live that gift out um, in the world. And I think that that is, um, that's what all of us are called to do. And sometimes, you know, mm. we really don't want to be the servants who get killed by the, by the, um, on relenting guests. We right. don't want to be, you know, we, we want to be, um, well, many times I find in our culture today with self and of the sense of self that gets promoted up into a kind of pride, um, that we all can feel, uh, all of us can be tempted towards and fall mm-hmm. into. Um, we want to be the king who's inviting everyone to the sun and has the armies and everything else. Well, that's just not reality. God is the father. And mm-hmm. he sent his son into the world who died. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, yes, we need to um, take care of ourselves and and um, not yeah. allow ourselves to become depressed or, you know, we have to, mm-hmm. we have to be lift, lifted up but at the same time uh, we have to be willing to give of ourselves totally. Mm. And, um, and this ministry um, in Maryville has been an opportunity to give and to mm. empower people to see themselves as Christ. And, um, and so that's, I pray that my brother priests who are in difficult situations with multiple parishes, they may not have some of the blessings I've received with that vision and that mm-hmm. collaborative process. Um, yes. I hope others might be encouraged by this to take on that kind of a, a model, but um, yeah. to be able to, to remain selfless in their service and mm. uh, and then to take care of themselves and to really focus on the moment um, mm. that they're in and invite mm-hmm. invite people to see the present moment not not some not some uh, distant future or some distant past but 
the present moment is the opportunity to truly be Christ for one another. Mm. Yeah, so there's a selflessness, there's a, there's a presence, there's a letting go of some of the things that you maybe were doing before that you no longer can do just because of the scope has changed and therefore your perception of what it means to be a priest shifts a little bit in terms of how you lead and what that looks like and, and to take care of yourself. You know, like I, I love that, um, you know, wells of, of, of flowing water, of life-giving water, right? Like, I think we can be in crazy situations and still thrive when we're rooted in Christ. We're true to ourselves and we know who we are. Like, we know whose we are and we know who we are. Like you were saying earlier, there are things that I knew I needed to bring other people in to take on because I couldn't take on either. I wasn't as good at it or I just couldn't, didn't have the capacity to do more. And, and, and sometimes so, it's, yeah. it's, it's even more, it's those things that you are good at, but that you don't have the, that, that's, I mean, that's, I would like, that's, that's essential for us as priests because we're good at so many things. Many of us, mm-hmm. you know, we've been we, well-educated. We have degrees in philosophy and theology. Yeah. And many of us come out of perhaps a, a already having a college background in business or science yeah. or, or yeah. something else. And so we're very perhaps well-equipped Mm-hmm. But our capacity isn't great enough to be able to do all of those things no. when we are a pastor no. and we have to be with the sheep. And that means we have to empower others, perhaps, to do things that we're very, very good at, um, mm. but because of the capacity limitations for our, for our community. So I, I think that's an excellent point. Amen. You know, as a lay person, I often think to myself, you know, I, I don't want to just be cared for. I want to be mobilized, you know, like, cause you know, I, yeah, I need care when I'm getting my butt handed to me, but as a person who's belongs to a parish, like I also, uh, and as somebody, I want to be mobilized for impact, like to join my pastor, like yourself in ministry to go get those people to, to, to love and to bring people into this relationship with Christ that transforms everything. It's one and the other, isn't it? And so as pastors, you know, to, particularly in your situation where you're amount, you know, you're bringing together churches and congregations, making a lot of difficult decisions. There's a ton of care in that, helping people let go, helping people reconnect, helping people see hope and, and building all those things. You know, I think there are times for intense care and maybe there's times for intense mission. And, and, and oftentimes it's both, but sometimes it's intense care. And and how does that feel like when you're managing or, or, you know, this mandate and knowing full well that we don't have time and space for the mission that I would like to be about. Uh, and you're at these gatherings or you go to a conference maybe that talks about these exciting, hey, we're supposed to be missional. Yahoo. It's like, how does that feel? Like, have you ever found yourself in those situations? What do you do with that? <laughs> No, absolutely. I find myself, I found myself in that situation many times. Um, mm. I, I first arrived in Maryville. I had an excited group of parishioners who wanted to come up and uh, change the whole ministry and how we care for the sick and the home bomb. Yeah. And I, I tried to encourage them. I didn't want to stop, you know, with the, the good work they were trying to do. Yes. But at the same time, I realized there was not, it was not completely well planned. There was some uh, difficulties in what they were, what they're proposing. And we weren't in a position as a, at that time, we were still five separate. We still had all five separate parishes were still fully running, yeah. if you want to call it that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, uh, and so it was like, it was like, 
can, can we just can we wait? You know. Yes. And and they did. They patiently accept the invitation to wait. I, I encourage them to continue to get together to pray together and to mm. continue to to take communion to the sick that they already were serving in their own ways. Mm. Um, and then uh, you know, three years later, because of that, you know, when we did have the opportunity because of resources to kind mm-hmm. of empower them, um, we had a a great day of um training and um and fellowship. Uh, for people wanting to get involved in that ministry, all of they they were invited as well as all, all the parishioners who wanted to become part of that. And we really have you know become more robust than in our care for the sick and homebound. Um, but it's not something we could accept that first day because it was like, which parish are you talking about? I mean, uh, you know, I mean, there's just too much, you know. And so yes. I find it, it it's it's difficult because certain things. I know myself. I mean, uh, you know. Accepting all the communities, one of the things I have purposely done is not made any grand liturgical changes right. or ritual or worship structure right. uh, because there's enough change already mm-hmm. without trying to introduce further changes. And so mm-hmm. I've been very careful about what we what we reintroduce after COVID or other things uh, because I want people to feel comfortable and mm-hmm. that not a lot of superficial things are changing when everything about their life is changing. And, and sometimes that's difficult because even I, I'm not particularly a fan of some of the things that, you know, uh, we do. um, But yet it's the way they've been done for 20 some years, at least Mm -hmm. some of our communities. And so we need to walk together through this and we'll find the opportunity to do so. So, a lot of it has to do with just patience when it comes to yeah. um, realizing that, yes, we're here for mission, but in Maribel right now, we're here to build community out um, of what were five communities. Yeah. And so our mission is doing that. Mm-hmm. And these other things will come with time, and mm-hmm. we just have to be patient for the right time when the Lord moves hearts to to that place. Good, good for you, Father Ted. It's, you know, when, as you're saying that, you know, what I hear loud and clear is care, like pastoral care for the people that are going through hell in a handbasket. Sometimes it feels like that, even though they're the ones that were in the consultations, they're the ones that came up with these recommendations. It doesn't mean it's easy. And what I hear from you, Father Ted, is you care. <laughs> like you acknowledge, you recognize, you can put yourself in those shoes. And yes, you have preferences. You're a priest. And not every, you know, priests have different preferences. There's not one way of doing things. And so you do too. And yet you're willing to set those aside for the sake of pastoral care, recognizing this situation, this season that you guys are going through. And again, I just think that's beautiful sensitivity. Um and yeah, I just really appreciate that, that you, you would do that, that you think like that, that you process like that. Um, and, and so how do you like, like, this is the season you're in. Where do you get support? Like, are there conferences that help pastors process leading multiple churches that you've heard of? I haven't. Have you heard of that? No, no I haven't. I mean, no. I mean, my own, um, being faithful to having a spiritual director, um, mm-hmm. uh, which means for me, um, doing spiritual director injection over Zoom, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, that's I um, 
was trained in a um, Ignatian form of spirituality oh, through seminary yeah. and mm -hmm. IPF and other mm -hmm. opportunities. And so um, it helps me to be able to have um, a pre-spiritual director who is mm -hmm. trained in that uh, tradition. And so um, it's not something when I was a younger priest, I would have ever dreamed that I would be doing spiritual direction or myself, you know, over Zoom. Um, yes. But it's, it's an opportunity to be able to to get the spiritual direction that's essential for my own spiritual health. Mm -hmm. So I encourage priests to, even if it means Zoom or, or whatever, um, to get a good spiritual director who they're able to talk to and um, and really uh, is able to then kind of reflect back to them where, they, where they're at in their own spiritual mm -hmm. life because it will, it will profoundly affect their ability to, to be with their people on mission and be mm -hmm. with their people um, in the midst of the many times devastating circumstances that a merger has on people. Um, mm. And then to maintain their own positiveness regarding the changes that are happening. So mm -hmm. one of the most effective things I found um, just personally is that when, when someone is very negative about a certain change and they come up to me and they purposely say something that's meant to be, you know, You've you've kicked me and my family and all of us out of the church and you've mm -hmm. stolen all of our you know we bought those statues and you stole them and whatever and I'm making some of that up. I'm just, yeah, you know, of course but, yeah, yeah yeah for the situation but it's like yeah. but it's like well I've had different aspects of that and many different things um, mm -hmm. and the response is um, no we haven't and we're still a community and to have that positive response because I find that mm. one of the gravest difficulties for a parish community that I've seen from the outside um, yeah. is when there's difficult merging going on, changes going on, and the one of or the priest becomes part of the, the difficulty. Right. The priest enters into the, you're right, none of this is right, none of this is... And now, there's a place for some of that in the grief. You're like, I have to enter grief with people. You're, mm -hmm. you're, yes, this is sad. Yes, this is bad. Yes, but then... As a priest, I have to take them to the resurrection. I Amen. have to lift them up towards towards what the positive future is. Mm. And um, sometimes, for different reasons that are valid and yep. you know and unique, uh, priests don't always do that. And that that mm. I find creates the largest difficulty for a community yeah. because uh, they naturally turn towards their priest. And if their priest becomes um, uh, tightened up around trying to keep a building alive um, to the bitter end of whatever, um, yeah. then uh, the people will generally follow. And so a priest really needs to be in tune with spiritual direction and um, mm. the many resources that priests have for their own spiritual life, yeah. um, you know, confession and um, Eucharist in a way that really builds them up. Mm -hmm. uh, so that they can they can address these issues. I I have not heard of any conferences or um, mm. uh, per se on these issues. I think it's a rather um, as you mentioned earlier, it's a rather diverse uh, area because different models mm. are being employed in so many different places. Yeah, that it, it would be an interesting it'd be an interesting. Um, uh, thing to have a conference or something some type of gathering to talk about mm -hmm. the different possibilities of models and so on. 
Yeah, it would, because I think a lot of us are going through that phase and to support each other and to hear different ideas and different, you know, there's, there's different different phases of that. There are different ways of approaching those phases. There's different ways of being a diocese and supporting priests and communities. There's different ways of being the priests and leading and, 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 and evolving through our leadership. There's different ways of being supported spiritually to be healthy through that. It's a lot of good things. And, and the thing is, if we're in a diocese, there's going to be some people going through this and some people, you know, managing the bigger churches or the more rural churches or what have you. And if we can, if we can understand where each other, what each other's going through, that we can be a real encouragement so that we don't isolate ourselves or look down our nose at somebody because they're not doing, you know, something for evangelization right now because they're going through other things. Like, you know, there are a lot of, there's some cool, th- there's some neat things to that. Maybe you and I will have to put on that conference someday. That's a- <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to. And I have to say, I just, um, I just received a phone call this morning from a brother priest who I had not talked to in a while. Um, mm. And his phone call was because he happened across our bulletin online and mm. saw some announcements, financial report, other things that were in there. And so he just called just to offer me his support and his prayer and, and tell me that he was, you know, anything he could do. There's nothing really he could, you know, do. Yeah. But- sure to just offer himself. And that was very touching to me. And, and that also is a great source of strength when priests Amen. build each other up um, and, and help and help one another. And I can't um, echo how important that is that, that priests who are in diverse assignments, like you mentioned, yes. uh, they, they, that they just reach out to one another and build each other up. But, and I have to say it's throughout this whole two years, three years that I've been here in, um, in Maryville, uh, mm. at, at public gatherings and so on, priests have had a great deal of deference and respect to to the process going on here because of they know it's difficult, you know, the, yeah. and, and so they're they're very um, they've been very supportive and respectful, and I, I can't say how much I appreciate that, how much that, that's helpful to me. Oh, Father Ted, that's a great way to to wrap it up. You know, thank you for thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for taking on that assignment, and not only taking it on, but taking it on with such hope with a sense of responsibility and pastoral care for being patient, for taking care of yourself through spiritual direction and, and, and minding where your mind is going and, and making sure that it's aligned with God's word and God's promise, not, not to spare darkness here. Wonderful example of what is possible in a difficult situation. Thank you. It's been great talking to you about it. And uh, I've been, I feel hopeful and uplifted just by having the conversation because, you know, so often we can get into the things going on around us, yeah. but uh, even this conversation uh, brings new hope and, and lightens my, my hope for the whole process. So I'm thankful to be part of it. So thank you. Oh, wonderful. That's a wonderful outcome for sure. So thank you. And thank you for listening for all of you that are out there in the same situation you're you've been asked to, or you've been going about bringing parishes together, or maybe you're a parishioner listening to this, you know, it's tough. It's hard. This is an interesting season, but we got this. God has our back. He loves us so much. And as we strengthen in terms of our commitment to him, our surrender to him, our love and care for each other, we can go on the attack again in terms of reaching more and more people with the with the gospel message and bring people to a life of hope and purpose. Um, so thank you for what you're doing for leadership. We will see you next time. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.